through 25 seasons. Hey! 4,561 episodes. I believe the Oprah Winfrey Show was one of the greatest classrooms in the world. I really never thought of it that way. The aha moments, the breakthroughs, the LOLs, the connections, the occasional ugly cry. I miss him so terribly. I miss him every single minute. The moments that mattered. The eye-opening life lessons. Never allow them to take you somewhere else. I'm bringing them back. It's time to open the vault. I've personally chosen these classic episodes to share with you again. Every single person you ever will meet shares that common desire. They want to know, do you see me? Do you hear me? Does what I say mean anything to you? You are listening to The Oprah Winfrey Show, the podcast. I don't want to waste any time today. I have absolutely no doubt that something is going to be said here in the next 60 minutes that will save a lot of lives. What if I told you that there is one weapon that's proven to prevent most crimes before they happen? Wouldn't you run out right now and get that? If I said proven, proven. World-renowned security expert Gavin DeBecker, he's so good I use him myself, says uh, you already have that weapon. He calls it the gift of fear. For years on this show, since the last time you were here, I can't even remember the last time you were here, every time somebody tells a story mm. of some violent attack or some circumstances they've been in, I always say, when did you really know something was going mm. on? Because I remember the story that you tell in the very beginning of your book about Kelly. Was her name Kelly? Kelly. Yes. Good memory. Yeah. yeah. Everybody knows. You know, I've done that for 30 years. Ask people after they were victimized. Was there anything you knew? Was there anything you felt beforehand? And most people say to me, no, it came out of nowhere. And then if I'm quiet, if I take a breath, here come all these details. I did know when I met that guy. I did know when I walked in that parking lot. I did have a feeling when such and such. And we're just like every other creature on Earth. We get a signal prior to violence. There are pre-incident indicators, things that happen before violence occurs. Well, I've told the story of Kelly many times mm. in many different situations on air and off. Can you just summarize the Kelly uh, story? Maybe the shortest one I can do. I can okay. She was coming home from shopping. It was nighttime. She came to her door, and the door to her building was unlocked. It's supposed to be locked. So she, that was the first signal she got. Her neighbors had left it unlocked. She opened it, locked it behind her, walked upstairs. A bag of cat food that she had bought broke, and cans rolled downstairs. And somebody from downstairs said, hey, I'll bring it up. And the minute she heard that man's voice, she didn't like him. Right. And then she spent the whole rest of the time talking herself out of it. A nice, friendly guy came up the stairs. He said, hey, I've got the cat food for you. We've got a hungry cat upstairs. She should have said and could have thought, we don't have a cat at all. But he was trying to cause some belief that they were together in this thing. And the whole time she was saying to herself, gee, he's a nice guy. Why do I feel this way? Why do I feel this way? Talking herself out of the intuitive signal, the gift that we all have that something was wrong. Eventually, she got to her apartment door, and he said, I'll just put the stuff inside. And she said, uh, no, it's OK. And he said, no, no, it's all right. I'll put it, I, we can leave the door open. I'll put it inside, and then I'll go. I promise. Of course, he didn't keep his promise. And all these signals that occurred to her, later, she saved herself. After the rape, he went to the kitchen, and he said to her, don't you move. And she said, you know I won't. When he got up and left her room, she followed him, took the sheet, and she walked right down the hall, right behind him, close enough that if she'd breathed, he'd have felt it on the back of her neck. And he walked into the kitchen, and she walked out her front door into the apartment across the hall and saved herself. He later killed someone else. But it was the same signal that she had received she listened to this time. Now she knew 
he is going to harm me if I don't act on it. And she got up, and the great thing she said to me was, I was a passenger on my own legs. Mm. She said I had nothing to do with it. I just followed what intuition told me to do, and we've all got the same thing. So this is a show about using that intuition to save your life. Mm. And one of the things I remembered from The Gift of Fear, never forgot it, is that you were saying that every, we are like all other creatures, every other creature, we're the only creature that will sense the danger and walk right into it. All other animals sense the danger and they back out. Yeah, the yeah. great example of that is, which we'll all recognize, you're in an elevator, I mean, in a hallway waiting for an elevator late at night. Elevator door opens and there's a guy inside and he makes you afraid. You don't know why, you don't know what it is, some memory of this building, whatever it may be. And many women will stand there and look at that guy and say, oh, I don't want to think like that. I don't want to be the kind of person who lets the door close in his face. I don't want to hurt his feelings. I've got to be nice. I don't want him to think I'm not nice. And so human beings will get into a steel, soundproof chamber with someone they're afraid of. And there's not another animal in nature that would even consider it. Well, listen to this. This is Nicole, and for weeks, she had one of those funny feelings, just a funny feeling. And the feeling was, something's odd going on in my apartment. When I moved in the apartment, I felt comfortable. And then it just kind of started to, I started to get very strange feelings. My gut started feeling like something just wasn't right. I would come home, and there'd be just weird lights on in my house, lights that I didn't even remember turning on in the first place. It was just enough to make me question, I guess, my own sanity more than anything. One day, I was in my bedroom, and I looked out the window and saw that there was a, um, a delivery from UPS left on my balcony. I'm like, how did this random box get on my back balcony? I just noticed myself just feeling uneasy. Um, I just, I couldn't explain why I was feeling that way. I would just come home, you know, almost feel nauseous. I kept trying to justify it, saying, okay, it is, it is in my head. Nicole's funny feeling eventually grew into full-fledged panic attacks. And so, Gavin, you say there's a good reason for that. Yeah, her intuition absolutely 100% knows whether she left that on that table or that light on or off. We go in and out of our places 200 times, 300 times a year. We know what happened. And intuition records everything. So when she started getting panic attacks, her intuition is saying basically, you're not going to listen? OK, I'll ramp it up. I'll give you panic attacks. You want sleepless nights? I'll give you sleepless nights. You want nausea? I'll give you, you nausea. You want nausea? Even you want disease? I'll give you disease. And it's not just danger. It's any time we get off that course in life, we start to feel like that. And so her intuition did get her to listen, which is the great news. Well, it's unbelievable what was going on in her house mm. that her intuition automatically knew about. And when that feeling grew stronger, she set up a hidden camera. When I came home, I take the camera, plug it into, into the laptop, and the first thing I see is this man's head peeking around the corner in my house. What I felt at that point was just complete terror. I'm sitting there watching this video on this story unfold. And this person comes in my house, is, is looking around, going through my things, you know, looking through my laundry, holding up my lingerie. I did have a pair of panties laying there as well. You can see in the video, he picks them up, smells them, smells them again, <laughs> and puts them back. And then he proceeds to take off his clothes and put my lingerie on. And at this point, I'm screaming hysterically, like, I'm feeling so violated. I couldn't take my eyes off of it. Um, 
So this person is, you know, in my clothes, proceeds to start pleasuring himself. Just very, very graphic things happening right there in my house with my belongings. And he finishes up, takes off my clothes, puts them exactly back as I had left them, puts his clothes back on, checks to make sure nobody's outside the door, and leaves. I heard you ran screaming when you saw that the first time, yeah? Um, I didn't run from the apartment. I ran around my apartment. I just- Screaming, yeah. I, screaming hysterically. I, yeah. I didn't know what to do. Yeah. And so what did you do? Um, initially, I, I took my cell phone, um, called my boyfriend at the time, mm -hmm. screaming hysterically. I mean, all I could say was, he's in my house, he's in my house. Mm -hmm. I mean, even picking up the phone and making, you know, dialing was, was difficult. I, I just, I was completely just, Mm -hmm. out of it. Mm -hmm. um, Did you recognize the person? No, the I, had, I have never seen him before in my life mm -hmm. until that video. And it turns out it was, they did find him. Yes, um, they found him about two weeks later. Mm -hmm. um, they arrested him. I mean, it was somebody I, I had, as far as I know, never come across. Well, the man in the tape was 39-year-old uh, Sean Rogers, a computer consultant with a young son who was married at the time of the attack. He was arrested and charged with burglary. He's currently serving eight years behind bars. And the reason he was charged with burglary, because he, there was no way to charge him with anything other than trespassing. Correct. And he eventually came back to your apartment, correct? Correct. And stole the camera. He stole the camera. And that's how you were able to charge him with burglary and put him behind yep. bars. The only reason. Yeah. 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 But the signs were all there. Mm. Well, what she, the most interesting thing that you said, first of all, great job, because you did a great job. You listened to it enough to put the camera in and to not let go of it. A lot of people will let go of it, just persuade themselves. You know, they, they cross-examine their own intuition and forget about it. But the interesting thing you said is you said, I began to question my own sanity. Can you believe, here we get solid evidence. This was here and now it's over here. The door was locked and now it's unlocked. The light was off and now it's on. And rather than question the outer world, we'll question the only real thing there is which is this, which is ourselves. And so it's, it's really terrific that you took that extra step. A lot of people don't. And you had done things like leaving your something, a piece of clothing in the door, and if it was moved, you'd know that somebody had moved it. Right. Um, I actually did that for the first time the day before I set up the camera. Uh -huh. um, That's what got you to set up the camera. Exactly. Yeah, it just, um, I dropped a, a tank top behind the door as I was leaving for work. And you know, thinking that when I come home that night, I'm gonna peek my head around the corner. If it had been pushed off to the side, it would have been obvious that the door had been opened. Mm. So and it was. It was, it was. And he was escalating also. Yes. yes. Because he now puts that package out on the, on the porch. Correct. There's no way at this point. There was a package you, you put somebody. out on the porch that, that the only way you could get it out on the porch was to walk through the house. Mm. Exactly, and I yeah. lived on From the third UPS. floor. Uh -huh. yeah. And he was reckless. He's got a lot to lose, as you point out. He's got a son, he's married, and to... So what does all of that mean? Well, it's headed toward a behavior. He's already into behavior of wanting to get caught. You don't come back again and again and again and not want to get caught. And additionally, it's sort of like somebody who wants to have a grenade blow up in their lives, just to blow up everything, whatever pressure he's under. And he, too, has an intuition, by the way because offenders as well can see what's happening in their lives and talk about not listening to it. He's in someone's apartment doing something sexual with their clothes on. That's something to listen to. Mm -hmm. When people do listen, offenders, they can stop what's almost fate. There's a great line that, that uh, Carl Jung said. He said, what we do not make conscious emerges later as fate. Mm. If he made it conscious, if he could talk to someone about it, if he could tell someone, he could get better also. But he didn't, and it does mean escalation. If she discovered him, that's dangerous. If he came in when she was there, that's dangerous. So you think that would have only gotten worse? You can't get better. 
Can't get mm. better. Yeah. yeah. Well, good job. Thank you. Good job. On a recent show, we met Doris, who admitted she endured years of sexual abuse at the hands of her husband. Two months after leaving her marriage, he abducted her at gunpoint. He took me um, to a little town called Boone, Colorado. Um, it's in the middle of nowhere. What did he do to you? And um, that's where he forced me to do sexual acts on him. Um, and that's where he raped me. After that show, I spoke to Doris again and asked her if she had sensed any signs of danger the night she was kidnapped. As I was coming home from work, it was just a very eerie, strange feeling as I drove up. It was darker than normal in my driveway. And there was a trash can sitting where I normally park, um, right in the middle. What did you think when you saw the trash can? I thought, hmm, that's, this is strange. Um, I guess I didn't put two and two together, but what at the moment... What did you think I, when you thought it was darker than normal? I thought, hmm, this is strange, because usually my family, uh, my mother lives with me, and she'll turn on the lights when it gets dark. It did give me a little eerie feeling. Um, you know, the, the hairs in the back, and I kind of stand up, and, but still didn't, um, didn't listen to my instincts. Didn't listen to my instincts. That's when I knew that we needed to bring Gavin DeBecker back to talk about the gift of fear. And it's interesting, everything that she said, I want everybody here to know, and it's not just for violent attacks, but it's everything in life when you use your intuition, that it really is just, hmm. Mm. It just feels like, hmm, something's not right. Hmm, something's off, or hmm, that's odd. Very true, and so, so much oh. attention is given to what are the warning signs of this or that. Yeah. We're, we're trying to analyze the warning signs, and what I really want to teach today and forever is the feeling is the warning sign. All the other stuff is our explanation for the feeling, yeah. why it was this, why it was that. The feeling itself is the warning sign. The feeling itself is enough to say, all right, now why? What would that be? How easy would it be to go another way right now? How easy would it be to not go out that door? It's so interesting the way you compare it to animals because all of you watch The Planet Earth, I, I'm, I'm sure, that, that amazing series uh, done by Discovery Channel. And there's a scene where you, many times where you see the animals in the, in the woods or the forest. When the impala first, you know, is eating or raises its head, it's not when it sees the lion, mm. it's when it senses the hmm. And afterwards, no impala would ever say, let's say it runs away, it, it's frightened. We'll never, we'll never say, why did I do that? Why was I that kind of impala? <laughs> but a human being will spend time afterwards. <laughs> well, now meet Dorothy as you hear her describe how she met her nice guy boyfriend. See if you can spot the, hmm, first red flag. I met Kevin with a mutual friend. We um, immediately hit it off. We used to have so much fun. We had the same interests. He had his master's degree. He was a CPA. So he was a very intelligent person. And I liked that. He was charming, and it never let up. He was willing to do whatever I wanted to do. Then I got a sense that things weren't right. He would buy me a present or buy me a beautiful bouquet of roses and have it sitting on the table. and. That was very nice, but that night or the next day, he wanted me to be with him all the time. I'm gonna give you a gift, now you're gonna be with me 
all of your waking hours. So we're going to stop Dorothy's story here so we can talk about the hmm, warning signs one by one. Gavin, walk us through it. First one I get out of that is he was so charming. He was so charming. A great thing is to think of charm as a verb. It's something you do. I will charm Dottie now. It's not a feature of my personality. I have charm. It's I do charm. So he was so charming. You also said, I think you said he was relentless. You know, it just the charm kept coming. Another one is that he, uh, he talked about marriage early, which we'll see in the next segment. And he's got so, the main thing is the feeling, of course. You said something didn't feel right, something didn't feel right. You also said he would always do what I wanted to do, unless it wasn't what he wanted to do, which is where it eventually goes. All right, let's move on to what happened next. I'll never forget the first time that he asked me to marry him. I was out visiting my sister in California and he was calling me, calling me. And he asked me to marry him over the cell phone. I thought, you're kidding, I've always said. I would never get married again. And I said, that's the last time I'm going to talk about it. When I came home, he said, I want you to marry me. I had a beautiful diamond ring for you. He showed me a picture of the diamond ring. I want to buy a house. You'll love it. And he had it all mapped out how it was all going to work for us. Oh, I love this. Because one of the things I learned from The Gift of Fear, I keep mentioning it because I think every woman should have this book. And you should give it to your daughters and you should have it as a part of your life. And I um, remember when you said, no absolutely means no. When you say no in any circumstance, not just mm -hmm. in when somebody is trying to attack you or harm you, mm -hmm. but when you say no and the person then persists to try to tell you why the answer isn't no, your next response needs to be, why is this person trying to control me? Mm -hmm. But most women don't think that. Most women think, oh, well, he just loves me, or, or trying to make nice with it. Yeah, he didn't hear, and you were really strong. You said, that's the last time I want to talk about this. 20 minutes later, he's talking about it again. Anytime somebody doesn't hear no, it means they're trying to control you, as you said. And also a great thing in the gender differences. When a man says no in this culture, it's the end of the discussion. When a woman says no, it's the beginning of a negotiation. Mm -hmm. And I love so that you all true. react to that, right? So true. So true. Something else you said, too, that what we need to start learning as women people is that when you're saying no to something, you're also saying yes, and mm. that the yes is usually to... Yourself. Yourself. Yeah, it's the best. Every no. You know, no got a bad reputation, because when we were kids, no, was, it disappointed us. But I heard this great thing. It, it, a friend of mine said, God always answers your prayers, but the answer isn't always yes. There's nothing wrong with no. People say, oh, my prayers were answered. I got that car I wanted. Your prayers were answered when you didn't get that car you wanted, too. The answer was no. The answer was no. No's not so bad. That's something that's very hard for many people to learn. Yes, and particularly to learn that when you're saying no to something, that you're also, also often saying yes, and that the yes often means yes to yourself and no to the other person. We're talking about how to use your intuition and what that feels like. It just feels like, hmm, something's not right. She could sense that things weren't right with her boyfriend. And after four and a half years and many red flags, so many it was the Indy 500 for you, uh, <laughs> she, she finally broke off the relationship. Finally, when I ended the relationship, he kept calling me, calling me with repeated questions. What am I doing now? What are you going to do tonight? 
And that's when I realized I am in trouble here. He was stalking me. My son convinced me to take out the protection order. When I got the restraining order, I had peace of mind. And that was a huge mistake. One night in late August, I was completely asleep. And I heard my name shouted, Dorothy. So I was laying down facing my TV. I turned to my left shoulder and I saw a knife about this big. I could see the reflection of my TV in the blade. Then I saw that he had cut off surgical gloves and that was scary. I put the covers right over my head and curled into a fetal position and started praying. He said to me, are you scared? And I didn't respond. All of a sudden, right in the midst of a pr you know praying, I thought, I, can I think I can do this. Whatever presence it was, it was so magical or spiritual. It never entered my mind to panic. In one fell swoop, I stood up and said, I'm going out, I'm going. He followed me. It wasn't even me. It was as if I was in some other super thinking, super logical and super calm person. I didn't run and he didn't try to chase me. He followed me out to the parking lot. So I said, you're leaving now. He turned went down the street, and I didn't see him again. Dorothy called 911 immediately, and Kevin was arrested that night. He is currently serving four years in prison. Why do you think you didn't panic? And I think that I have kind of a gift to be able to, um, I pray a lot anyways on a daily basis every yeah. I pray about. I know, so but I, lots of people are watching this and they're saying, my daughter prayed, my son prayed, I prayed, there I is was no, raped, whatever. There, I, I don't panic on a, I never panic mm -hmm. because it doesn't get you any place. Mm -hmm. Had I turned and tried to grab that knife, mm -hmm. he's right here standing up. I'm laying down. I just never, it never occurred to me. And I think when you're dealing with anybody who's not rational, yeah. You're not gonna win unless you put yourself together. Put, put your act together and um, that's how I, how, how I did it. How you did it. Yeah, what do you wanna say, Gavin, about what happened? A couple of things. One is you said you have a gift and I say everybody has that gift. You saw the gift. You accepted it. You mm -hmm. received it. You were uh, open to mm -hmm. it. And not at first, because at first, you, you know, fetal position is, is not a position of power, but you came out of it with a great position of power. Right. And the pure power to say to him, you're leaving now, is fantastic. And of all the details in that story, the one that stayed with me the most is that you saw the reflection of your little television set on the bedside table in the knife. And what that told me was, you are on. You are in the on position. You are an animal. You are a terminator. You are seeing every single detail and acting on it. And that's probably why she knew that she was going to be okay. 
She knew. It's a different feeling from I was queasy, I was going to vomit, I was going to throw up, I was dizzy, I couldn't see straight. Some people have that kind of feeling at times. But she received the gift, and the gift said, do exactly what I tell you, don't argue with me, and you'll be fine. That's right. That's what happened. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay? You're right on. That's what happened. I, I, I said to myself, get your act together. Get your act together now. In this little fetal position, and I said, our Father, who art in heaven, how come I can't finish this prayer? <laughs> in my mind, I thought, I should be able to finish this prayer, but I can't. But I feel as though I can, I have the power to stand up and go out. And I did. And even he senses the power. That's the power. That's the big mm -hmm. power of the universe. So he yeah. senses it when she says, you're leaving now. He just walks down the street. He, well, what, 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 him saying to her, are you scared? Mm. Isn't that what he wanted? He wanted her to be scared. That, mm -hmm. That's a very telling thing, and I think it was also helpful to her that he said it, because it says, that's what I'm here for. Uh, I'm here to scare you, and he had basically accomplished most of his mission right there. But it doesn't mean it's not a very dangerous situation, because that's that's a lot of men go with a gun or a knife only to frighten their ex-wife or their ex-girlfriend mm -hmm. and end up killing them because of how they might react, because mm -hmm. of the nature of the way the situation evolves. And so it's, it's really terrific that you in the middle of that, accepted, received the gift. The gift is there, accepted it. The gift of fear. Thank you. Glad Thank you, you did. Thank you very much. That's glad you did. This is a photo of my mom and dad. My dad was born in 1916. A hardworking man, very proud man. He uh, was very creative, very artistic, could fix anything with his hands. I was always daddy's little girl, so I, I loved him for that. My parents, they did everything we could possibly ask, gave us everything we possibly wanted. So when my mom died, I just made a promise that I'd do all I can to make sure he has everything he can possibly have. I know that so many of you watching uh, today have elderly parents, and you can relate to Jackie, and you may also be in the same situation, because uh, after her father suffered a series of mini strokes, she hired round-the-clock home care for him because she wanted to make sure her dad had the best care possible. So what did you do? Uh, after he came come home from rehab, I installed cameras because at that time I didn't trust anybody. So I wanted to make sure that, you know, the hires, people I'd hired uh, took care of him mm -hmm. and wasn't stealing from us or anything like that. And I'd hired this caregiver, and initially she was doing great with my dad. Mm -hmm. I watched the cameras, knew, knew her job. And a few weeks went by, and you know, something said, you should look at the cameras I had with my busy lifestyle. Something said. Something said to look at the cameras. I mm -hmm. hadn't looked at them in a while, but I ignored it. And then like uh, the week that I actually watched the cameras, a few days prior, it just kind of hit me like, Jackie, look at the cameras. But I'd gone to church to hear my god sister preach that night. And when I came home, I said, I'm too tired to watch. So by that weekend, which was a Saturday, I'd come home from work. I was doing my normal routine of washing my dad's clothes. And at the wash machine, something said, the, the DVR is here, watch it. OK, and I mean, here's what happened. Anastasia was the type of person that I actually liked and got along with in the house. I mean, I treated her like family. I initially had looked at these videos. She was doing great with my dad the first couple of weeks. Definitely knew what she was doing with him. But for some reason, some that say you need to look at the videotapes because you haven't looked at them for two or three weeks. 
Me kind of ignored the little inner voice, said, you know, okay, I'm busy, I got things to do. Come down here to the basement, and I actually passed the DVR that's recording everything, and something just pretty much hits me like a ton of bricks. Even in the rush that I, I'm in, I turn around and I go back over to this DVR, and I said, okay, I'm gonna watch and see what exactly happened this morning. I'm sitting here in total, total shock, going, what is this woman doing to my father? She pretty much just snatches my dad's hand off the rail, and as my dad brings his arm back, she just starts taking her fist and just beating him in his chest and in his stomach. I think every place on his body that she could actually strike him, she did. And it's just a horrible thing to watch. What did you do after you saw that video? Uh, just a feeling of shock. Mm -hmm. I sort of like uh, Dottie had said, you, you stand there and you're looking and you say, I've got to pull it together. Mm -hmm. I can't go upstairs, you know, with tears in my eyes or feeling overwhelmed. I, you know, I have to <laughs> get myself together. So I went upstairs. I whispered in my, my dad's ear that um, I loved him and that I knew what had taken place and that I wasn't going to ever let that happen to him again. Because, you know, my job is to protect him, not mm -hmm. to put him in harm's Could way. Could he speak? No, because of the strokes he had suffered and he, the dementia, my dad, if that had happened, say, in the morning, by the time I get home in the evening, he can't remember what happened to him mm -hmm. earlier. Mm -hmm. So that was the reason I had those cameras put in there. So I, uh, I actually left the house. I knew he was up at that time. He was mm -hmm. up and uh, in his wheelchair. And if she tried to do something, he could at least attempt to fight her off. I came back. She was changing him. I went in the basement and I watched her again. And she's threatening him. And I'm in the basement watching the monitor. So then I go upstairs. I say to my dad, are you OK? And he goes, yes. I said, Anastasia, do you like working here? And she says, why? I said, because I think you've lost your patience with my father. So after she got him together, I asked her for her ID because she had filled out an employment application for me, but I'd never gotten a photocopy of an ID. So I took that went, made a copy, came back, and that's when I called the police. Mm -hmm. and they came, watched the video, and proceeded to lock her up. But she, uh, the caregiver, Anastasia, was arrested, charged with multiple counts of second-degree assault, reckless endangerment, vulnerable adult abuse, but she's not serving a sentence. And the reason is because of the lack of attention that was given to this case, she was allowed to make her bail, which was $5,000, and flee the country on July 31st, eight days before the trial. Mm -hmm. Went back to Kenya. Mm -hmm. And your father? My father is in the critical care unit at the nursing home where he is. Mm -hmm. uh, still been, he's been there since July, mm -hmm. in the hospital since June, uh, and uh, is stable, but not the man he was. Mm -hmm. He has a trach down and a feeding tube, mm. and uh, not really able to communicate, but he smiles when he sees me, and that's all I need to see every day. That's great. Well, you say there's a right way and a wrong way to use hidden cameras, Gavin. Yeah, nanny cams have become very popular. Not legal in all states, by the way, but in many states they are. And people are very surprised to hear that when you use a nanny cam because you're suspicious that your nanny is hurting your kids, I actually oppose it. People are very surprised and ask me why. The reason is I get a phone call from someone. They say, I'm worried about this nanny. We just don't trust her. I say, is there more to the story? Then fire the nanny. They say, well, shouldn't we put in cameras? No. You should not put in cameras to experiment with your own infant. You think later at 18, the kid's going to thank you? Hey, thank you for having that film of me being abused. 
The point, your, your job as a mother is to protect the child. So if you want to put in a nanny cam in response to suspicion, I don't believe in it. If you want to put in a camera the way you did, which was great, to see that there's compliance with your instructions, and the really cool thing you did that nobody ever does, she watched the images over the first two weeks, and then she stopped. Nobody goes back. Nobody goes back. You'd have to watch the images 40 hours every week. She went back and checked on the images again, because most people see, ah, that's a good person. They're just looking, they're, every cell in their body just wants to hear that it's okay. Yeah. Oh good, now the camera told me this is a good person. Well, and also, she went back because, that, because mm. of that feeling. Strong correct? Feeling. Exactly, I mean, that morning, I'm trying to get to the bank and the hairdresser, and literally, it turned me around on my basement stairs, heading out. I just stopped in my tracks and said, you know, I'm gonna go back and watch this right now. And still, I didn't, I missed it. Yeah, well, well, aren't there key questions that you ask people, but how, you know, people, if you got any sense at all, you can get through an interview, is what I always say. Well, it, it's partly true. You know, sometimes people you say... You gotta be real stupid to not to get through the interview. I've seen some. Yeah. Uh, sometimes people say to me, well, you never really know about people. Yeah. That's a common feeling. But what if American Airlines said, we said, are the pilots any good? Well, you never really know about people. They have a duty to check it out. We have a duty to check it out. So my recommendation is when you hire a nanny or, or an adult care provider is you ask every one of the questions that you think is so uncomfortable and wrong to ask. Like, have you ever abused a child? Everybody says, why would you ask that question? Well, because that's exactly what I want to know. And the way they answer will be helpful. Someone might say, what have you heard? Or define abuse. Or someone might say, no, I love kids. But whatever the point is, whatever they say, you get some intuitive information. If you never ask the question, you get no intuitive information. Well, you used your intuition to the highest order here and, and helped save your dad. Yes, I did. You did good. Thank you so mm. much. You did. I was 19 years old. I was working at uh, Payless Shoe Source. This man walked into the store uh, right around closing time. And the second he walked in, I just knew something knew. was wrong. Yeah. yeah. My body, my instinct, everything in my being was saying, run, just run out of the store. The hairs rose on your arm. You knew it, you felt whatever that energy is when evil has its presence. I felt it and I second guessed it because I didn't want to be mean. Yeah. I didn't want to be impolite. That was actress Gabrielle Union who shared with us her story of surviving a brutal rape. And what do you want to say to women who, all of us, myself included, who are conditioned to be nice? We, we just mm. want to be nice. <laughs> it is, there's no question, this is what the culture teaches, which mm -hmm. is that uh, women have to be nice all the time. You have to engage. If I say something to you in public, you have to respond. You can't be a bitch. You can't be mean. Yeah. And the fact is that men at core are afraid that women will laugh at them. And women at core are afraid that men will kill them. And often believe that if you're not nice, you increase the likelihood of danger and risk, when in fact the exact opposite is true. It's when you're nice that you open up and give information, that you engage with someone you don't want to talk to. He or she doesn't want to let someone into the store. And for fear of being perceived as not nice, she un opens the, the door and lets him in. And it ultimately leads to a rape. I have not heard of one case in my entire career where someone was raped or murdered because they weren't nice. In other words, that's not the thing that motivates rape and murder. But I've heard of many, many cases where someone was victimized because they were open to the continued conversation with someone they didn't feel good about talking to. And didn't listen to the first, hmm. Didn't listen to the first feeling. You, yeah. Even she said, I second-guessed it. I second-guessed second it. it.
second-guessed it. All right, earlier we were talking to Dottie, and you said the restraining orders can create a false sense of security. Dottie said that mm, in her did. tape. Yeah, they're not right for every case at all. A woman who rejects a man face-to-face, -face, as you did, if he can't accept that rejection, then he sure can't accept the rejection from the court, where basically the court is saying to him, you're not good enough for Dottie, you're not lovable, pushing all of the great pain buttons that he's got. And so men who are allergic to rejection don't do well with restraining orders. And if you're using a restraining order in order to stop a homicide, it's the wrong piece of paper. It won't do it. Pieces of paper won't do that. If you're using it because you're dealing with someone who's reasonable enough to listen to a restraining order, usually the issue has never come up. Reasonable people don't need restraining orders. So it's not perfect for all cases. They're issued at the rate of 1,000 a day in the United States, and yet every year hundreds of women are found murdered with a restraining order in their purse or a restraining order on their bedside table. All I'm saying is it's not perfect for every case. And also, doesn't it, as, as, as in the case of Dottie, give a false sense of security? It does. In fact, one of the most important things we tell people who do get restraining orders is in the time immediately after it, which Dottie knows very well, that is when your risk is greatest, immediately after the restraining order. Why? Because he's just been rejected, and his reaction, some people will react just fine and leave you alone, and some won't. And so this is the time. You've done something very provocative. Restraining orders basically are a strategy of war. They are not a strategy of peace. And so they are right for some cases, but not right for every case. I'll tell you what happens. They're always right for police officers. They get the woman out of the office go get a restraining order, prove to me that you really don't want to see him again. Yeah. So they're always right for prosecutors, too. They're not always right for the woman who gets them. Well, there really is no way to count the number of lives that have been saved by this book, uh, The Gift of Fear, because after hearing Gavin's message, so many people told us that when they spotted a red flag or had a feeling something was off, that, hmm, something's not right here, they did follow their gut. So thank you, Gavin DeBecker, for reminding us of that hmm. You, you just said it yourself. I just mm. said hmm. Mm. Thank you. I'm Oprah Winfrey, and you've been listening to The Oprah Winfrey Show, the podcast. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join me next week for another Oprah Show, the podcast. And I thank you for listening.